Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. So welcome, Shama, to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself and Nimbus 90, please? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Really good to be here. Um, so my name is Shama Banerjee. I am the senior editor at Nimbus 90. Um, and Nimbus 90 is a business and technology community which is focused on disruption. So we bring together business leaders from across all industries um, with the aim of talking about how is disruption impacting how you're running your business, how your business models are working. Um, We started when we kind of, when it was founded um, 16 years ago, we started looking at technology and how technology is disrupting. Um, Today, I think there are, well, Back in back in that time as well, but today we are focused around all sorts of different types of disruptions. So primarily technology, but actually, how is how is the conversation around climate change and climate action impacting business? How is um, kind of uh, sustainability conversations, political conversations, economic conversations? How is all of that impacting business, and how should business leaders be responding? Um, so that's what Nimbus 90 is. And we are focused around kind of three major pillars, which is our research, our events, and our content. So that will be kind of what I'll be talking about today. Lovely. Thank you. And the reason why we got in contact is you did send, you sent out a survey that I answered, and I was really impressed with what you were yes. asking. Um, purely because, you know, you get a lot of these surveys, and sometimes it's the same old questions, but you had some really interesting questions, and, and hopefully we'll cover some of that today. Um, just to one of the standard questions out the way what does a digital workspace mean to you yeah so i think digital workspace has changed a lot in the last couple of years of course with the pandemic um everyone had to work digitally remotely um the desk desk based workforce um and so i think what what it means to me today is actually what is a responsibility that business leaders have to ensure that their workforce has access to digital um digital workspaces and no one's being left behind almost so there is like that democratization of that across the workspace work, workforce um one thing that one of our advisory board members um was talking to us about when we had it we had a board dinner and we were talking about this whole issue of how can we make sure that you know all everyone in the workforce is getting involved. How do you run a hybrid meeting? And the consensus was actually it doesn't work. Having someone on Zoom and the rest of the mm. people in the room, that just doesn't really seem to work because the person on Zoom always gets left, left behind. And there's always, there's going to be a focus one way or the other, either whether that's for the virtual people or the physical people. So I think the challenge today is really marrying that those two, those two spaces, the digital space and the and the physical space. Um, and making sure that there is like a fairness across the board. So that's probably what it means to me, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that example of a meeting because that, that makes me think of um, Facebook changing their name to Meta and yeah. they're trying to drive this. Uh, and it was actually in a very good book. Um, I think it's called Shift. I need to find, I keep saying I want to find the book. But, the, but it was basically the example that you join a meeting as an avatar. Now, you could be in your bedroom, you just got out of bed in your pajamas and your, in your robe, 
you know, just putting in, just drinking a cup of coffee, and now you're joining this avatar, but in, as an avatar, but in in the in that world, the virtualized world, you are in a suit or, or whatever the the um, the right clothing is for that, that meeting, but you look, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, just to have the meeting. And it doesn't matter who you're meeting with because they could be, you know, across the globe. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever solve the time zone problem, um, oh. but at least you can you can save the the commute and the um, the presence thing to an extent using some of this, this newer technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we've um, what we've seen, and this is just kind of anecdotally from speaking to a lot of the people who in our community, is just that sense of actually other things are more important than just work. Like um, you see people's kids popping up in the back of their Zoom, and actually it's really nice because you can ask about them and learn a bit more about that person and they become more than just a square on the screen but actually you can see a bit more into their personal life which I think is really nice to build build a connection and augment the working relationship it's it's funny you say that because there's there's two things that I have changed since we've been working remotely more permanently and I bear in mind I've worked remotely and and I've worked in the office my whole career and I've always preferred the the choice um because I still think it's a bit of both and it, it is hybrid but I find it very interesting how you can tell a lot about a person but how they interact um, in this way. You know, the people that always turn their cameras off, uh, even though they can turn the cameras on, uh, people that blur their backgrounds versus having, you know, some some stock standard background or they've they've selected their own. Uh, all those that you know, whatever's behind me, you can see, I mean you can see me, it's just cupboards and and whatever. Um, but but it, it, as you say, it gives you a way to to connect. Whereas I think when we were in the old days when we were all in the meeting room, um, it was it was very difficult to connect because there was no triggers to to grab onto, you know, unless they were you know wearing a badge or something that that or, or an interesting piece of jewelry, there wasn't much to connect on. So I think it's made us more human, uh, I guess, as the yeah. ironically uh, considering it's actually less physical contact. Yeah, absolutely. I think the number of times I've asked about something that's in someone's background, or I've seen a book on their shelf, and I'm like, oh. I'm reading that book or, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, 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 that's actually a great one because, you know, how often does someone say, oh, yeah, that's, I just bought that book and I haven't even read it yet. Or they go, oh, yeah, that was a good book. I read it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. you really read it? Or they've read the Wikipedia summary. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, so the research you guys were doing was called The State of Recovery. Uh, do you want to tell us yeah. a bit about that and, and what your insights were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like I mentioned before, we are a community focused on disruption. I think COVID was probably the biggest disruption that we had ever seen as a community, um, obviously, for for everyone. Um, So we wanted to kind of dig into that that disruption that our community had faced. And like I mentioned, across industries. So some industries were really impacted. We had obviously a lot of people in retail hospitality who were really impacted by um, the pandemic. And then other industries were actually, the impacts of the pandemic actually accelerated what they were doing. Um, So we wanted to understand what happened across industries, across different organisation sizes, how has digital capability impacted that? Um, And yeah, really dig into into, um, what those different business leaders were seeing. Um, When we actually, if I kind of scroll back a bit to March, April of last year, when everything kind of kicked off in the UK, um, we started a kind of podcast discussion forum thing uh, called Chief Disruptor Breakfast Club. Um, And the point of that was to 
get different people in and basically ask them, how are you managing to deal with this? The, the first series was called Pivot, Don't Panic. So basically saying, how are you pivoting? How are you not panicking? Or are you panicking? Um, and we, in one of the very first episodes, we had the chief information officer of Boots come join us and talk about that. And one thing he was telling us was that he has seen, well, for his team, they were doing or aiming to do 10 years of innovation in the space of 10 weeks. So that acceleration, the amount of work that they were able to get through was just off the off the charts because they had to, because there was that necessity. So coming back to the research, that was really what we wanted to look at a year on or a year and a half on from the beginning of the pandemic. What is the state of recovery looking like now and how has it changed business? So, so sorry, I need to ask this question. So 10 weeks of digital disruption for 10 years. Is that sort of Elon Musk kind of idea that if we give you more time, you take more time, and if we give you less time, you get more done in less time, that sort of mentality? I mean, what, what was the the drive for them? And and what did they what what corners did they let's not say cut, but let's say sharpen um, mm. in order to get stuff done? Did he tell you any yes. of that or, or not? Um, so I think I think it's probably more a case of stuff had to be done obviously at the very baseline level every person in the organization needed to be set up digitally to work theme with our podcast um so that was like a big thing that just had to happen straight away and then i think from an innovation standpoint if your boots and all of your stores close everything is going through your website what you know how do you speed up that process how do you make sure stuff is getting into the hands of customers faster it's a necessity thing um so I think, I mean, there's always one thing which I, I don't think it was um, the guy from Boots that we were talking to, but just generally what we what we hear in this space, why is it, why is everything sped up? Is that things are going, I think organisations are happier to get stuff out when it's not perfect because it's like, actually, we just need to get something out now because that's, that's the necessity of the situation. Um, and... So I think there's that that aspect of organisations just being more willing to experiment and um, more willing to, to push stuff out to market. Um, that's yeah, good, good I think that's, yeah, good enough versus perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes that can be a matter of perception. Um, you know, when you when you're very close to it, you think it's it's probably good enough and you're okay with it. But someone who's who's receiving it's going. Oh, you know, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? And and there's a level of managed expectations. But but I think if if we we move down this route of incremental improvements, um, a lot of those things that, that are, are gaps to begin with, and we're seeing this. And if you look at some of the big vendors, I mean, Microsoft releasing Windows 11, um, and then about a month later releasing about the other half of Windows 11 because it obviously wasn't finished. It is a, it's it's becoming a mechanism that we're all getting comfortable with as much as mm-hmm. you know, the purists don't like it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that we kind of historically ask our community every year in our big annual piece of research is what's your what's your organization's attitude to failure? Is it okay with failure? Like, do you learn from failure? Um, And increasingly, we've seen a kind of positive shift towards, yes, we learn from failure. Yes, we are allowed to experiment um i can't remember the exact stats but it's it's the majority of organizations now saying that they um are allowed to to kind of experiment in that way uh i think the the industry that's really not allowed to experiment in that way interestingly is financial services that's what we saw in our last (laughs) research which i think is 
fairly self-explanatory. Um, I'd probably challenge that, uh, having worked mm-hmm. in financial services. And I think it does come down to what you're experimenting with. So yeah. obviously, obviously, there's regulations you've got to you've got to um, uh, what's the word meet and 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 be accountable to. So so you can't really experiment there because the regulations are in most cases pretty clear cut and and you know you have to do certain things. But what I have found, and having moved around from inside of financial services into other industries, is there's actually quite a lot of aggressive, assertive experimentation in financial services because they've got the money to do it. Um, and, and when I say that, there's big budgets, there are you know lots of resources, and I'm not saying that they, they're splurging. Um, but what I'm saying is, if, if there's a drive, and my background is end user experience, um, you know, as a, as a bank, we you know the two banks I worked with, there was a lot spent to make sure that the, that the employees in the bank were productive and effective as, as, as much as possible with the tools they were given, mm-hmm. um, and thus and thus the, the only way to make that really happen was to use cutting edge technologies, you know AI, um, proactive uh, measures, predictive analytics, that sort of stuff. Which you know we were doing this stuff ten years ago. I compare that to where the market is. The market is now starting to catch up to oh, we should be doing this kind of stuff. So, so I think yeah, it depends on where you are. And, and if I compare it to say, yeah. shipping, um, shipping is very conservative in comparison. Um, and having spent three years in that industry, the, the pace is definitely a lot slower. But you have pockets of of acceleration. And again, it comes back to the big guys, uh, you know, the likes of Shell and Maersk, etc., where they've got the budgets to do the experimentation, and they almost um, if you think about that sort of hype curve, that they're almost in the in the the lagger sort of side of it compared to everyone else. But now they're starting to accelerate because they're going to see um, see value. And and a lot of this is funny tied back to to climate change um, mm. because a, a vessel is is quite inefficient, uh, much like a car is quite inefficient um, when it comes to driving through the water. Um, you're losing fifty percent of the energy. Um, as you propel yourself forward for what you're spending in fuel. Um, and that obviously affects the carbon neutrality of a vessel. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about all this stuff for ages. And maybe this is a, a good chance to bring in some of your questions. I, I have to say, I appreciate someone who comes in with a list of questions for me to use as opposed to <laughs> me having to make them up. But um, you had a question for, for me to ask you, which is which organization types and industries have seen a big uh, recovery shift? Yeah, so... Um we put together something based based around the survey um, that Ryan mentioned earlier um, about about business health. So we asked organisations to put themselves on a business health scale from zero to ten, um, both in April twenty twenty. So kind of once the impact of the pandemic had really started to ripple, um, and now. So at the point that they were taking the survey. Um, we saw that, and we did this because, like I mentioned earlier, we wanted to understand where different industries were, where different organization sizes were. Um, what we saw was that the average business health in April 2020 was 6.8, and that has now uh, increased to 7.73 today. So we've seen we've seen a significant shift in that sense. Um, and in terms of when we look at industries, um, like I mentioned earlier, leisure and retail as, a, as an industry. Um, was really impacted and it was actually the only industry with more than half of the respondents sitting at five or less in April 2020. So that I think was quite a significant um, significant data point. But it was also the industry that saw the largest 
jump from April 2022 today. So it jumped by 1.69 on that scale. Um, so really, we can see that actually that industry has um, accelerated their recovery. I think lots of those organizations have used their digital capability to do that, which we can chat about later as well. And yeah, they're making substantial steps towards that kind of recovery piece. So from an industry standpoint, that's what it was looking like. From a uh, attitude to disruption, so we ask in all of our surveys as a community that's focused around disruption, we ask organisations to say, what's your attitude to change? Are you a disruptor? So are you actually driving the change? Are you a proactive defender? So are you responding proactively to change? Or are you a reactive defender responding reactively to change? Um And what we have seen over the last few years is more and more organisations are calling themselves disruptors, which I think is interesting in itself. But when we sorry, do you have an opinion on that? Why do you think they call themselves disruptors? Um, No, yeah, good point. I think it's it's difficult because we are we are looking at people from different industries. So I think, but depending on the industry, there's so much happening in different industries that actually, you know, depending on the industry, there's a whole different story. Um, I think it's linking back to what we were talking about earlier with that willingness to experiment and also digital maturity. So one thing we look at is how does this attitude to change link to digital maturity? Is there a link? So another question we ask our our respondents is, where do you put yourselves in that digital maturity spectrum? More and more people are saying digital is in our DNA and more and more people are saying we are disruptors. So I think there is definitely a link there in terms of you can't be a disruptor if you're not digitally mature and really digitally advanced. Um, so I think that natural maturity that we're seeing and that which has been accelerated by COVID-19, um, I think that is is, is pushing organisations to that end of the scale. Do you think it's, it's a case of, of these organisations um, making it a strategic choice to disrupt their market or do you think they're disrupting their own businesses based on the realization and maybe the pandemic has helped them that mm-hmm. that they can do it more efficiently more effectively and by uh, almost a, a ripple effect that's affecting the market yeah that's a really interesting question um i think what what we're doing i don't know if this is gonna answer your question or sidestep it um, i don't think i, I don't think it's a final answer seeing, i think it's an opinion yeah <laughs> no it's a, it's a really interesting point um but what we are seeing is I think more organizations are hiring someone to be a chief disruptor to or the chief disruption officer or something like that. So which is really interesting because it's saying, you know, we as an organization want to be disrupted from the inside out. And I think that's that's a really that's an interesting thing. And it would be maybe that's maybe that's the next study we can do is actually organizations with them versus without and what's the difference? How is that impacting? Um but I can't remember your question. What was it? <laughs> so, so what I what I was asking is is that, that disruption uh, or that that disruptor label does an organisation disrupt themselves first and by ripple effect affect the market so they, they realise they can do the, do it better for better more effectively internally by disrupting yeah. themselves and that comes to the market or uh, are they just going out to disrupt the market by, on purpose? And by de- by that by that they have to pull themselves into a disrupted state. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, probably a bit of both. I mean, I think it comes back to competition and um, how do you make how do you well? This is probably more in a 
on the B2C side, but um, how do you make that customer experience, that customer journey as seamless, as effective as possible, and therefore make the, the customer's choice really easy to just choose you? Um, mm. So I think it's probably a bit of a bit of both, just in terms of investing in that side of things, disrupting in that in the customer journey and the product that you're offering and all of that. But at the same time, that's naturally going to change how the market's working. Because then if you suddenly have all of that market share based on based on that change, what's yeah. that going to do to your competitors? Yeah, I, I find it, I'm almost seeing it as, as disruptive, it's almost a verb, like Google is a verb to, <laughs> to, to bring around transformation. And I, I'll be honest, you know, I've worked in organizations that, that desperately need that disruption, just from an internal point of view, because it, it's almost like, oh, we've always done it this way, mentality becomes the culture of the business. And mm-hmm. what, what we're saying by, by having the disruptor label is that you know you can start from scratch at any point and forget the history of the business and go, what, is it, what does the future look like? And if that means that 10 applications, and I'm, and I'm sorry, my background is applications and product. If it means you have, you have to sun, sunset 10 applications and build a new one, then and that's the goal, then that's the disruption. And that does mean that you're going to have some unhappy people and there's some change and there's some some um, expectation management. But if that puts mm-hmm. the business in a better place in, in 10 years' time or five years' time, whatever the time it is, then that's what, that's almost okay. And it's, and, it's, and it's almost a switch away from this um, stock price-driven um, mentality that, that uh, CEOs bring in when they're measured by the quarter to almost the way the Japanese run a business, which is a 100-year vision. And you're, mm. you're trying to gear it for that. And uh, you can just do it a lot faster with technology. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that um, kind of quarterly view versus 100-year view, that's that's an interesting one. Um, we had a conversation with our board about what timeline should we be looking at when we're thinking long-term. And the conversation basically went, even five years is really is a really long time because think about how much everything can change in that time. Um, so I think it, the, the definition of long term thinking as well I think is has squeezed and really minimised based on how much everything is changing, how fast everything is changing at the moment. Because you know we can make a plan for twenty twenty eight now um, as as a business. And by 2028, things may look completely different and our plan becomes irrelevant. So, yeah, an interesting one. Yeah, and if, uh, yeah. so, so that, that long-term view versus short-term view, I think it's good to have, uh, like you look at the, the, the wanting to put a base on the moon, uh, I think the goal is 2030. Now, mm. it's almost, it's almost uh, everyone knows 2030 is never going to happen. But unless you put a date down, no one's going to work towards anything. And... It still comes down to as much as you want to have a far-off goal, and, and you know, in this case, excuse the pun, it's a moonshot. Um, you still have to have uh, a day, you know, broken it down to a daily view. What are you, what are you working to on a, from a goals point of view on a daily basis that gets you to twenty thirty? Because if it's too far away, then then people say, "Oh, we've got plenty of time. Don't stress about it. We've got yeah. time." But you've got to bring it all the way back down to what every week we're going to deliver something, every day we're going to deliver something that feeds towards that goal. Um, there was a question here that I wanted to when you were talking about technology being involved, you you asked a question around uh, digital capability and how did that link to recovery? And you, and you kind of mentioned that technology was important, but I thought the number uh, of people that agreed with that was quite interesting. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, so like I mentioned before, we've we've seen that shift up the the digital maturity spectrum. So more organisations than ever before are saying digital is running um, running another piece of research in at the moment actually and we are still seeing more and more people saying digital is in our dna versus we don't have a digital strategy no one doesn't have a digital strategy anymore and yeah if we if we look at the impact that that has had on how organizations have been able to respond to the impacts of covid we saw 88 percent of respondents in the survey agree or strongly agree with the statement that IT maturity and digital capability are directly linked to how quickly my organisation was able to respond to the impacts of COVID-19. So that that's pretty huge. The other 12% is kind of that between disagree, strongly disagree or don't know. So it's it's really quite minimal the amount of people that disagreed with that statement. Yeah, and I, I think the, the conclusion I would draw from that is, is not that everyone was able to respond well to the, the pandemic but that they had so, so what, I, what I mean about that is there was organizations that literally was a flick of a switch you know everyone works from home no problem you know my organization was one of those there were some organizations that were able to do it but they needed time and that time could have been two weeks a month whatever it is mm-hmm. but there were some organizations that were completely caught blindsided had no planning for this kind of scenario and were literally running to the shops you know, your, your PC warehouse or whatever it is, buying laptops, that they, any laptop they get to, to get their workforce working again. And I'm hoping that, the, that one of the things that's a positive out of this is that organizations have realized that, that these sort of plans need to be thought of, but also that they need to design for mobile first when yeah. they're bringing in, you know, solutions to make users work better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of our one of our commentators on the report was talking about exactly that the the need for for mobile first um, in in design, but also it's becoming more kind of accepted how crucial IT is to to the business as a whole. Which sounds obvious, but actually, with everything that's happened in the last eighteen months, it's it's become an absolute priority uh, for business leaders. I think digital has really shot up kind of CEO agendas and yeah, become become a lot more important. But yeah, completely I think it's an interesting point you raise around um it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean they are responding quickly. That's that's just that they're able to respond at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so so move to one of your next questions, which is what is the forecast for recovery? Yeah, so we asked we asked our respondents in the survey um, when do they consider um, kind of business recovery to be happening. Um, this was this was an interesting one because we actually asked that um, back in um, when was it kind of December December twenty twenty um, just around when when they thought that was going to be happening and. Organisations said that recovery would take, this is back in December 2020, they predicted that recovery would take two to three years from that point. So suggesting we'd be well into 2023 before we even started seeing business recovery. But actually, when organisations took this survey in September 2021, a lot lot had obviously changed in that nine months because the majority of respondents said that business recovery to pre-COVID levels um, would happen within the next six to 12 months. And 18% of respondents said that their organisation had already returned to pre-COVID levels. So um, that, again, I think is just, just demonstrating that 
how much has changed within within that time frame. Um, attitudes to recovery have changed quite a lot as well, which is in, in an encouraging way. But when we split this by disruptors and defenders, so again, that that kind of attitude towards change and that mindset, we had a quarter of disruptors say that their business had already returned to pre-COVID levels, but half of um, reactive defenders still expected to see recovery in the next six to 12 months or the next one to three years. So again, that time frame is massively kind of squished or extended depending on that uh, disruptive mindset. And I, and I think it's interesting that, that there was an increase in revenue uh, considering that, that there was, a, in some senses, a, a break in the old world way of working, which is, you know, if people are in the office, they're not working. Um, because I almost believe that, that that increase in revenue was uh, a save or one on office space, um, mm-hmm. but also being more productive uh, and, more, and more relaxed in a sense because people weren't, you know, I mean, I, I always found it fascinating when I moved to the UK. I had to commute five, you know, three hours a day to go sit in an office where you sit, spend the whole day on the phone, um, yeah. which you could have easily done at home. Um, so, so I think that you know, happy employees end up with happier customers, and I think maybe that's you know, something I draw from from that, that that increase in revenue. What was the the uh, sort of cultural challenges for the leadership, specifically for for business leaders? Yeah, so. One thing which really came out strongly is, yeah, like you say, the cultural side, the people side of um, what business leaders need to need to look at now. Um, so we asked organisations, what is the biggest challenge um, that you're facing when you're dealing with the impacts of the pandemic? And the number one thing was leadership and culture. And then we asked respondents, what is it going to take for organisations to grow from now? And again, it was hiring more talent was number one, followed by strong leadership. So I think there is a pretty strong um, consensus that leadership needs to step up. What that means, I think I'm not the person to answer that, but it's it's definitely a big challenge for organisations. And it's it's not new. I think this is the thing that I wanted to point out is it's, it's not new coming out of the pandemic in our um 2020 digital trends report which you can find on our website um culture was identified as the number one reason why digital projects failed in in that year um so that kind of poor leadership unclear objectives all of all of those leadership cultural issues are repeat challenges that we're facing but now that now that we really need strong leadership in time of intense change that has just been amplified and intensified as an issue yeah, it's interesting because um, if you think about, you mentioned people and, and hiring, that ability to hire someone now, regardless of their geographic location, uh, and probably more more related to what their what their time zone um, applicability is, um, mm. opens up opens up the skills pool so much more, and it also kind of points to, you know, again old old world issues with you know, for example, employment tax. Because you you know you have companies that now have to worry about if they hire someone in, in let's say Portugal but they're UK based, they have to worry about the the, the Portuguese tax considerations, um, and, and yeah maybe it needs that all to be simplified. In in this sort of section, you had a thing around um, the biggest cha- challenges facing organisations now that they're, they're coming out of COVID, and, and you mentioned the people, but you mentioned some other stuff here around business continuity and resilience. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk maybe through the resilience piece? Because I think this is quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the resilient resilience piece is 
is interesting um, because I think resilience has changed quite a lot in terms of how how we're looking at it. Resilience now is absolutely something that all organisations need to have if they're going to survive these changing times. Resilience before was probably had less of an urgency on it. Um, So what we're we're kind of seeing this in in three parts. So the first is that operational resilience is being prioritised. So obviously we've got, you know, the global supply chain crisis rumbling on at the moment um, and operational resilience is being more invested in. So we had 72% of respondents say that they are investing in business operations, that's the supply chain, logistics, IT, to make them more agile and resilient as a result of COVID-19. So that's kind of the first major piece of of resilience as we're seeing it now. The second is around open-mindedness towards experimentation, new opportunities that we've kind of been discussing already. So we had 70% of respondents agree that the impacts of the pandemic created new product and revenue opportunities in their sector. So I think this is probably linking back to that digital response as well. Um, those new product and revenue opportunities, if, if an organisation is agile enough and digitally mature enough to seize those, then happy days, that's that's, got, that's going, um, going straight away to, to market. But in terms of experimentation as well, we had 68% of organisations agree that um, they are more willing to experiment now than they were two years ago. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that siren outside. (laughs) I live on a very busy road. Um, So, yeah, we're we're seeing both those product opportunities, but also the willingness to seize those opportunities absolutely increase. Um, So that's kind of the the second major thing. And then the final thing is that business continuity um, plan. So... 64% of respondents said that they had a business continuity plan before March 2020, in comparison to 78% um, who say they have one now. And interestingly, it's actually retail and leisure, that that industry that was um, kind of the most impacted by by COVID-19, according to our our research, that say that they don't really actually have a plan in place for business continuity. They haven't developed it yet. They don't know, they're not sure where where to go with it. So... um, there is definite kind of imperatives for business leaders now, I think, but in those in those different areas of operational resilience, open-mindedness towards experimentation and business continuity plans to um to address those and, and see and see how they can um kind of transform their business. Yeah, and I wonder maybe maybe the, the hotel and leisure or travel leisure is it's such a interconnected um set of, of service providers that that to have you know, there'll be pockets of business continuity that you can do. Uh, and then there's just parts that you can't have a business continuity plan for. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, a, wait, a waiter can't work in a restaurant if the restaurant's closed. Um, there's, just, there's just nothing more they could do there. Um, yeah. But if the, if, if the restaurant has a continuity plan that says, if we're not going to serve people in the restaurant, then we're going to do takeaways, uh, and the waiters become delivery drivers, then there's your continuity plan. Um, yeah. So I guess it just comes down to, you know, on a case-by-case basis. Um, right. So so the last question that you had here for us, would, what were the major lessons learned from the last 18 months for respondents? Yeah, so this is broken down into kind of major areas. I think the leadership and people area we've we've just talked about. Um, but the the big lessons, I think, that, that came out from what, what respondents were telling us, we basically just asked them, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from the last 18 months? And just gave them an open text box to, to tell us. 
Um, and it was interesting to see see how these kind of naturally group. So the first big one is change as a catalyst. So we were talking about this at the very beginning of this of this conversation, just around how the necessity to actually make to 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 get things happening fast that just made things happen fast. Like there isn't there isn't really anything else to it. It just had to happen, so it did happen. So that sense of people finding solutions when they when they have to because there's no other option. But also, um, we had one respondent say that COVID shone a light on our operational and legacy failings. So really, really getting organisations to look look at where they are struggling and address those areas. So that was that was kind of a fir- the big the first major learning. Um, the second is just around that digital capability piece that we've been talking about. So. Um, the need to be dynamically, uh, digitally dynamic, being a part of organisations' DNA, it needs to become part of that. Um, and also the importance of investing in all aspects of digital capability, and that's including the education of users. So I think there's the people piece coming in there as well, in terms of making sure that, yes, you can put all this tech in front of your, your workforce, but are they actually going to be able to use it? Are they going to trust it? Are they going to is it is it going to be worth the investment? So um, that side of things as well came through as a big big learning. The business resilience piece was another was another area, and we had some really interesting things come through here where respondents were saying we're not too old to learn new things. We need to react faster. We've learned we need to keep fixed costs to a minimum. So just general things around um, building that resilience. And then we have the leadership and people, which I think we've already talked about, but really looking after people, keeping a focus on them. They're our best asset. Um, And then finally, the customer focus. So coming back to that digital, that digital shift, we had one respondent say customer centricity does not mean being sat in front of your customer. Um, So I think that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, because when people were taken away from sitting in front of their customer, I think there was obviously that that slight panic because that was a a major change. Um, But as soon as that becomes your mindset of customer centricity is about just keeping them at the center of whatever you're doing, whether that's being literally in front of them or not, um, I think that that changes the game. So those were our our major lessons. So change as a catalyst, digital capability, the importance of that, business resilience, building that, focus on leadership and people and customer focus. Brilliant. I mean, I, I find it, um, how say, let's say heartwarming, I guess, that these are the five things that came out of it because this is really, for me, what, what every business should be about. Uh, and, 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 the order, and the order that you've given it, I wouldn't say is the order necessarily that, that a business has to apply it, but I think it's, it's important things that, that should always be top of mind for any business. Yeah, absolutely. I should caveat that with, I said those in no particular order. So <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't necessarily a lot more on, on the first, but um, yeah, absolutely. I think those are the, the lessons that, that business leaders need to take forward, really. Yeah, definitely. Great stuff. I think this has been fantastic. Um, so I think it would be good to, you're going to publish the results from your, your survey uh, on your website. So it's good to get a link for that. And any other links that you, you think we should have? Well, you can find, um, I'll absolutely share the kind of link to download the report. Um, please do have a look at that. There's there's 
everything that we've been talking about that goes into more detail in the report. So hopefully that's a helpful resource. Um, but we are also launching our next summit, Chief Disrupt Live, which is going to be happening in May of next year, which builds on builds on all of these different lessons learned areas um, and especially the digital capability piece that we will be launching in a couple of weeks. So that's the next big thing to look out from us is our, yeah, the state of recovery report and also our launch of Chief Disruptor Live. Super. And if people want to get hold of you, what's the, the best way? If they want to get hold of me, the best way is to email me. They can email editorial at nimbus90.com. So that's nimbus like the cloud and 90 is spelt out, not um not nine zero spelt out as a word. So editorial at nimbus90.com or you can connect with me on LinkedIn and drop me a message. Always happy to chat to new people, learning learn about what people are doing in their industries. So please do, yeah, get in touch. Super. Well, well, thanks very much for being on the podcast and I appreciate all your information. No, thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a really um, interesting discussion. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.